In this episode of Ask Amanda, I share some highlights from our 2021 outlook and rank order the equity asset class universe based on relative attractiveness. So let's dive right in. It is remarkable how far the markets and the economy have rallied in 2020 and early into 2021, with valuations now well above their pre-COVID levels, basically across the entire multi-asset class universe. Key question for us is, you know, when will that baton be handed off from valuation multiple expansion to earnings growth? It does feel as if there's a lot less room in 2021 for the equity markets to run solely based on this multiple expansion, which really was the story for all of 2020. The bar is absolutely set higher this year, and so we really do need to see a meaningful acceleration in earnings growth to keep this market rally fueled. Despite this, we see a pretty slow start to the year in the face of the lingering pandemic. Yes, it is true that COVID case curves are starting to plateau, but we are nowhere near out of the woods yet. And still there is a long kind of winding road to get from here to fully reopening the global economy. A lot of lingering uncertainties around the timing and magnitude of additional fiscal stimulus measures. There's a lot of talk about, you know, a near $2 trillion package following the Biden win and the Dem sweep scenario, but still seeing a lot of challenges around getting that over the goal line. And so that will paint a bit of a cloudy picture here in the short run for the markets and the economy. We're also seeing a much slower than expected vaccine distribution and deployment timeline, uh, much slower than what we would like to see and much slower than I think the consensus was expecting, given the kickoff and firestorm uh, following the vaccine efficacy rates kind of later last year. Um, the other thing that's you know critically important when we're talking about these pieces is what happens to the reopening of the global economy. We're definitely seeing additional lockdown measures starting to be put in place in other parts of the developed world, in the Eurozone, in the UK, in Japan. There's even talk from an economic growth standpoint about the potential for double dip recessions in those areas. That's not part of our base case for here in the US. We don't see a lot of meaningful additional lockdown measures needed to be employed here in the US. But the reality is that near Nearly 80% of U.S. GDP is still sitting in states that are tied up by economic restrictions or lockdowns in some way, shape, or form. And so that will have important implications naturally for the pace and timing of this recovery as 2021 progresses. And so when you pack all of these various headwinds together, it really does appear that it's likely to continue pressuring corporate and consumer confidence in the very short run here. However, as some of these uncertainties begin to subside, as some of these headwinds start to turn to tailwinds, we do think that a much more optimistic view can start to come into focus for the second half of 2021 and certainly into 2022. 
Um, with the equity markets sitting at or near their all-time highs, with the pandemic still raging on, you know, one of the most common questions we get from investors is, have we moved too far and too fast, and are we due for a major correction? And so to help us answer this question, we take a look at a number of key fundamental characteristics to really try and gauge the underlying health of the market. And those key underlying characteristics include valuations, earnings revisions, market breadth, a key technical indicator, equity market inflows, activity in the M&A market, and even activity in the IPO market. Stock leadership is also an important characteristic engaging the underlying health and kind of the sentiment um, and feeling of the consensus that may be driving the market environment. And so when we look at these various characteristics today versus pre-pandemic or a year ago when we were writing our 2020 outlook, um, there's quite a difference in terms of shift. Uh, at, at this time last year, we were really worried about a spike in M&A activity that we were really seeing kind of kick off towards the end of 2019, potentially signaling the end of a market cycle. Um, and we were also kind of worried about the fact that market leadership was largely being driven by the more defensive sectors, you know, U.S. bond proxies like consumer staples, utilities, and even REITs. That's usually the telltale sign that the market rally or market cycle is losing steam or that at least is in the later innings of the cycle. Today, we also see two characteristics that are very top of mind and give us some concern or pause, but very, very different. So they're valuations and earnings revisions. And I would say this is somewhat atypical, as we would expect more reasonable valuations and, frankly, really robust earnings revisions at the start of a brand new economic cycle. So if you think about Q2 2020 representing the inflection point for a new cycle, we should really be off to the races by now here from an earnings revision standpoint, but valuations should not have really had a chance to catch up yet. I have to say, though, you know, and this is an important point that we have to keep reiterating, the end of the last cycle did not come from a buildup in excesses. It was really a function of the abrupt shutdowns to the economy to fight the pandemic. You know, the markets and the economy have wrestled with pandemics for ages, but there's never been a scenario where we fully shut down the global economy in response to a pandemic. And so I think, you know, again, and dangerous words, I might say, that this time is a little bit different um, in that we really haven't seen the clearing of the typical excesses that usually mark the end of an economic cycle. You know, we didn't really see an asset bubble bursting. We just shut the lights off on the global economy. And so by shutting down the economy, that proverbial rug was pulled out from under earnings Basically, at the same time, the Fed, thankfully, with their superhero cape, was providing a massive liquidity tailwind for capital markets in emergency response to the pandemic. And so when you combine these factors, this, in our view, really exacerbated the near-term spike in valuations. Given this somewhat 
unusual dynamics, or at least this it's different this time kind of phenomenon, we do think that it's going to take some time for the market to grow into these valuations. Um, so that is kind of the key backdrop as we see it and the key theme that investors will have to contend with in 2021. Despite that kind of setting the stage for the new year, the majority of the market's fundamental characteristics that I rattled off earlier continue to be pretty supportive of a positive outlook over the course of this year. So let's dig a little bit deeper into both earnings and valuations as those two are kind of the the key themes or top of mind characteristics for us as we kick off this new year. Well, fourth quarter earnings season is really kind of at the height right now as, as we're talking through the outlook here and continues to come in much better than expected, thankfully, with very strong beats across the board. And as a result, we've started to see 2021 earnings revisions move ever so slightly higher in recent weeks as a result. We're up about 70 basis points since the start of Q4 earnings season to just shy of 23% year-over-year earnings growth. Now, that is a phenomenal number um, in a quote-unquote normal market environment, but you have to remember how big of a hole we're digging ourselves out of in terms of uh, year-over-year earnings decline. And so 2020 earnings likely to finish down in the neighborhood of financial crisis area earnings era, earnings growth declines, somewhere down the neighborhood of 15 or 16%. So we're definitely still clawing our way out of a big hole whole on a year-over-year basis. The trick here is that even though the fundamentals are starting to ever so slightly move in a positive direction, valuations have effectively already anticipated these solid results. And so we are not seeing anywhere near the strong positive price reaction that we saw following Q3 of 2020 earnings season. Indeed, it's really been pretty lackluster. And if anything, more of a buy the rumor, sell the news kind of phenomenon across the board. When you combine that with the high volatility regime that we continue to find ourselves in, especially as 2021 has kicked off here, we're almost back to flat on the year for the S&P 500. And I think it's just frankly very reflective of the still challenging backdrop that we find ourselves in. Can't expect this market to drive a straight line trajectory higher here with a number of the headwinds still very much in control of this market environment that I laid out at the beginning of this session. All right, so let's shift gears and talk a little bit about equity valuations. It's not a stretch to say that equity valuations are indeed fairly stretched across the globe. When you look at the S&P 500, when you look at the MSCI World XUS, the proxy for developed international equities, and even the MSCI Emerging Markets Index, all of these are at least 30% above their respective 10-year forward price-to-earnings averages. If you look at the Russell 2000 as a proxy for the small cap uh, universe, try 40% above its own 10-year average. Key here, though, is that valuations are always a relative game, and it is just so important to frame valuations relative to other asset classes as as well as what is going on in the macroeconomic backdrop. 
If you think equities are expensive, you got to take a look at fixed income. You know, investment grade bonds where the yield to duration ratio is at at or near an all time high. And then, two, when you look at the Treasury yield to earnings yield on stocks, it's actually double its 10-year average. While these are just two valuation metrics, we think that they do give a pretty good context and picture for bonds relative to equities. And in the case of both of these metrics, handily favoring stocks um, at this point in the environment. At the end of the day, this is really what happens when interest rates are pinned at such low, if not historic low levels, and you just continue to see an unprecedented amount of monetary policy accommodation flooding into the system. So yes, equity valuations are elevated, but we are not in the camp that equity valuations across the board are sitting at extreme levels or in bubble territory, especially when you look at these other asset classes like bonds and what else is going on um, in the macro landscape. There are certainly pockets of opportunity in equities at current levels, but I think a word of caution here, you do have to be careful when you're looking at valuations. You might very well be looking at a stock that looks like it's deep value, but in this environment, it's actually a value trap, meaning it's cheap for a reason. And I would say a very good real world example of this, which has garnered a lot of headlines lately, are pockets of small cap value. We really think there's a ton of challenges, uh, structural headwinds, if you will, sitting um, in the small cap value indexes that are not likely to reverse, reverse course here in the short run. We've seen a massive sentiment shift around small cap value towards that go outside trade as vaccine efficacy rates came in, you know, well in excess of 90%. It really kicked off this firestorm of a rotation. But we have not yet seen the underlying fundamentals improve. So sentiment shift there, but the fundamentals do not justify valuations at current levels in our view. All right, so to quickly wrap up here, we get a lot of questions about if I had to rank order the equity asset class universe, what might that look like? And so I'll give you kind of my quick take here at the end. Um, you know, the far and away the most attractive equity asset class in our view for 2021 and potentially beyond is emerging market equities. Um, you know, from from a from my fundamental perspective, emerging markets are in much better shape relative to basically the rest of the developed world. Um, they, you know, if you can believe the data, they have certainly managed through the pandemic up to this point in a more efficient way than most parts of the other world and of the rest of the world, and that has really led to a greater reopening in many of the parts of the emerging market um, universe. From an earnings growth perspective, that also means that they had less far to fall in 2020, but are actually experiencing a very significant rebound in earnings growth here in 2021. So just to keep this very simple in terms of comparison, the S&P 500 uh, earnings growth projection for 2021 is about 23% year over year. For the emerging markets, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 35%. 
when you layer on top of that a pretty significant valuation differential or gap, so 23 times a forward P for the S&P 500 versus just about 15 times for the Emerging Markets Index, that is a huge pickup uh, on a relative basis and, frankly, a much wider valuation differential in favor of emerging markets than what we have seen historically. So we think the, the setup is uh, very attractive here in 2021 and beyond for emerging market equities. And then, too, there's a lot of leverage and exposure to secular growth trends that we think have a lot of legs, not necessarily just because of the pandemic, but have been accelerated by the pandemic and will continue over the next you know, number of years, namely the digital transformation, but also the demographic backdrop across the emerging markets just continues to be inherently much stronger, higher growth oriented. All right, so that's emerging markets, the brightest star in the equity asset class universe. What comes next um, in terms of relative attractiveness to us is uh, U.S. large cap, um, and in particular, the stay-at-home trade, so larger, growthier tech, healthcare, staples, communication services, all the things you need uh, when you're hunkered down for stay-at-home orders and economic restrictions and lockdowns, we think will still be a very important story in 2021. The fundamentals there just continue to be very strong, very sustainable, and do indeed, in our view, justify um, current elevated valuations. In a growth and yield-starved world, at the end of the day, we really are attracted to anything that has high-quality sustainable growth and high-quality sustainable uh, yields. And so pockets of large-cap dividend growth look very attractive here, especially from a valuation perspective. We think global infrastructure is kind of a unique way to access growth and yield at a reasonable price. And we think, too, with the new administration and the potential for additional infrastructure spending, that could be a nice bonus tailwind um, in 2021 and beyond. And we also like portions of REITs, but it's re- it's not REITs across the board. It's really REITs that are uh, leveraged to secular growth trends, namely 5G infrastructure, data centers, data warehouses, and towers. We think the growth story there is still very much in the early innings, and we think the yield story there is very strong and very sustainable, even at current uh, valuation levels. And then a distant uh, second to last and last place, uh, mid and small cap, for many of the reasons that I talked about earlier, um, still have yet to turn the corner and effectively bridge this gap while we are still kind of partially closed and and locked down uh, due to the pandemic. And then developed developed international equities uh, bringing up the rear here in terms of last place. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment or tax advice. Opinions and views expressed herein are as of the date of recording and are subject to change. The information presented is not a solicitation to invest in any security or product offering. Please consult with your investment and or tax professional as to your specific circumstances. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to risk, including loss of principal. The information contained in this recording was obtained from publicly available sources, 
Such information has not been independently verified by PNC, may not be current, and PNC has no obligation to provide updates or changes. The reproduction of any or all of this content is not permitted. The PNC Financial Services Group provides investment consulting and wealth management, fiduciary services, FDIC-insured banking products and services, and lending of funds to individual clients through PNC Bank National Association, which is a member FDIC, and provides specific fiduciary and agency services to individual clients through PNC Delaware Trust Company or PNC Ohio Trust Company. PNC provides various discretionary and non-discretionary investment, trustee, custody, consulting, and related services to institutional clients through PNC Bank.